Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Money in Integrity podcast presented by worklifemoney.co. My name is Kimberly Van. I'm a career mindset coach and the founder of worklifemoney.co, and I'm here to help you develop the personal growth skills to meaningfully make and manage your money to create work-life balance. How? By tackling the self-doubt, imposter syndrome, and procrastination habits that are holding you back. And today, we're going to be talking about self-sabotage. And more specifically, the four hidden ways you're actually sabotaging your own careers. And self-sabotage is the obstacle that we least expect in our careers. Because doesn't it sound so contradictory? Like, why would we sabotage our own career and our own goals? When we think about career development, it's really easy to look only at the external factors that might influence and impact what your career looks like because you have an idea of what you want for your career, right? And it's kind of like melding it with the career reality. Like what does the job market look like? Um, What are the promotional opportunities at work? How supportive your team or manager or work environment is like? But sometimes even when all of these things play out or work out, our career goals don't work out the way that we think they will. When it comes to personal growth, it's important to understand that this behavior of self-sabotage is because your brain and body are trying to serve you. They are trying to keep you safe. So self-sabotage in your career can stem from a lot of reasons, but at its core, it's when your internal narrative regarding your career goals And then your exterior career actions are in conflict with each other. And this conflict creates a tension that creates self-doubt, procrastination, imposter syndrome, and a host of other feelings to stop acting in a way that actually achieves your career goals. So if you are a high achiever who has always been used to being successful in school, but are struggling to apply it in your career, there's a strong chance that you're actually self-sabotaging yourself. And that's why in this episode, I really wanted to talk about the five ways you might be sabotaging your own career. And these are all things that I have gone through as well. And this is especially for people who are high achievers, who've always excelled, who's always thrived in, you know, um, being successful in school and just thrived in being successful for a challenge. But we start to come up against things that it seems like we are getting in our own way. So If any of that resonates with you, or if you're kind of, um, you know, going through your career and feeling like you are the one in your own way, then this is the episode for you. So let's just get started. So the first way you might be self-sabotaging yourself in your own career is that you might be putting far too much pressure on yourself to choose the perfect quote unquote career and have the perfect plan. I am a firm believer that you are not your career. This is one of the first things I tell my clients whenever they get stuck in their career direction and choices. And I say this a lot on the podcast because I truly believe it. One of the most common self-sabotaging behaviors in career development is not choosing a career path or um, not changing a career path because of fear of failure and fear of disappointment. 
Now, fear of failure is extremely common when it comes to high achievement and also that fear of disappointment, especially within ourselves. And this can cause all different types of reactions within your brain, within your body. Like if you have a feel of failure, it's because, you know, if you do fail at something, you might feel um, shame and that can manifest in many different ways. Like you might, you know, feel um, like a knot in your stomach, your face might get hot. Those are things that happen to me. And of course, your bodies and brain are trying to avoid these feelings, right? They're trying to avoid these negative functions within your body. So they are trying to serve you and trying to keep you safe. However, when you are looking at choosing a career path, you have to remember that a dream career can and should not be a singular path for the rest of your life. Your career path will change because your life priorities and circumstances will change. And once you release yourself from this pressure, it's easier to make a decision. So if you are not pursuing your dream career for um, this phase of your life, and you are just staying safe and comfortable, again, that's what your brain wants you to do. And because you don't want to go for a a job or a career that you feel unqualified for, or you don't want to change career paths, it could be, this is self-sabotaging behavior. You might be getting in your own way because you might be telling yourself, hey, I don't really think I'm good enough for this. Hey, I don't think I'm expert. Hey, There's only a certain type of person that can be successful in this career, and that's not me. So when you have that pressure on yourself to choose the perfect career, and then even if you do decide, oh, this is a career path for me, you might not think of like that you are ready with the perfect plan. Like, oh, I might need to go to back to school or might need to do this. Or what if this doesn't work out? Those are all self-sabotaging behaviors. When you have that type of self-doubt and it actually paralyzes you from moving forward. It is so easy easy for us to let ourselves get stuck in analysis paralysis, especially now as adults, that we don't have anything pushing you towards something. Like when you are in school, you're like forced to choose and declare a major eventually, right? But here, no one's forcing a decision out of you. So you can stay in analysis paralysis as long as you want to. And that is self-sabotage because by you know, not making a decision on, you know, really pursuing a certain career path, you are making a decision because you're deciding to stay safe, which is what your brain is trying to protect you from, right? So it wants you to stay safe. And if this is something that you're struggling with, I highly recommend that you listen to episode 38 of the Money in Integrity podcast. This is the most um, like the fastest downloaded episode on the podcast, just because it is all about how to choose a career path when you are multi-passionate. And it really walks you through my work-life money framework on how to do that. So if this is struggling with, I highly recommend that you listen to episode 38 afterwards, and I will link it in the show notes for you. Now, the next a hidden and unexpected way you might be self-sabotaging yourself in your career is not 
practicing your job search skills, including the feeling of rejection. Now, job search is a skill in itself. The resume, um, the interview, just formulating the application. Yes, those are all tangible skills. But there's another side to the job search, and that's the rejection side. And many high achievers are not used to rejection. Because it wasn't normal. You know, as high achievers, we always strived for excellence in our lives. And because that measurement has been based on school, we didn't really have to practice the feeling of, quote unquote, not feeling good enough based on someone else's evaluation of us. So when we get rejected in the job search process, it can feel sometimes like that's somehow a comment on our self-worth or, you know, that we weren't right or that we weren't good enough for this. When you get rejected in a job search, there are so many factors involved behind the scenes of it. You could have been a great candidate, but they might have been looking for something slightly different, like One person on the hiring team actually might have really wanted to hire you, but the team decided on something different, or you just weren't able to market yourself correctly. So your resume didn't even stand out in a pile of hundreds of resumes, or, you know, they might just have gotten like a super all-star candidate that was actually really overqualified for the position and they decided to take a different direction. There are so many reasons that you might not have gotten the job. And this was a really interesting conversation I recently had with a fellow career coach, Amber. And Amber is the owner of Crossroads Surrey, which is a career counseling center here in the um, greater Vancouver area. And I know she listens to this podcast. So hi, Amber. And we were just having a conversation about this. And she really comes from the back end of HR. And there's like a million different reasons why someone might not have gotten the job, even if they were a great candidate. And she's awesome. So I'll link her like Instagram website, everything in the show notes. But when we are in the job search, it can be really hard to process that rejection. And that's a personal growth skill that really needs to be practiced and developed. And when you don't do that, you are unexpectedly going to self-sabotage yourself. Because if you somehow see or view rejection as a, you know, evaluation or comment on your self-worth, of course, it's a negative feeling. So, Why would you want to repeat the process? And this is why I see so many great, awesome people procrastinate in their job search because they have already dealt with a couple of rejections or maybe they just didn't hear back right away. And because of that, and because they weren't able to process it as a learning experience, what happens is then they just get disencouraged, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Discouraged. Um, that they don't want to do it anymore. And this is so easy to feel. And I personally, I'm I'm not going to lie and say that this was an easy feeling to process at first. I only just got exposure to it very early on in my career. So I was a part of the co-op program at my school. And a part of that was, you know, obviously co-op terms, which is um, like paid work experience. It's kind of like going um, on a paid internship as a part of your degree. 
And during this process, I got rejected so many times. And it's actually also tough when you get rejected and you see, you know, the person actually who get, got the job because um, they hire obviously within the, um, the school community. So I had to practice that feeling of getting rejected. And at that time, getting a job was like my job, like as in um, I needed it for school credit. So I kept having to apply and apply to jobs, even though I didn't really like the feeling of rejection and knowing that um, I was putting all in this work and um, nothing might come out of it. But I was like, Ugh, I need like a job for this term because I'm going to be on co-op, right? And I actually don't know what happens if you don't get a, a job during your co-op, but I was not ready to find out like if that was a part of your, it's a part of our degrees, right? So if we were supposed to go on co-op and we didn't get in, I guess you just have to sign up last minute for courses maybe, and then keep trying again next semester. But I didn't want that to be me. So I really had to develop that skill of being rejected, of not being good enough. And also at that time, I also really had to learn like how to overcome the fear of wasted effort because that is something that high achievers really want to avoid. You know, job applications are a lot of work. And so, you know, if you put in all of these, um, you know, all this time, all of this energy and you, you know, researched the company and you, you went all out for it and you don't hear anything back, it can be very discouraging. And that's why it's so important to learn how to separate yourself from the job search for, and from your sense of worth. Fear avoiding the job search and procrastinating it because of fear of wasted effort is a huge self-sabotaging habit for high achievers because we don't want that feeling. Again, like why would our brain want that? And also internally, like we don't want that rejection for ourselves. Like most people are, that are around high achievers, they are very supportive because you have excelled for so long. They're used, they're, they kind of see you as like the talented one, the successful one, right? And they want the best for you. But when we don't live up to that ourselves, that is the biggest disappointment. So if you apply for a lot of jobs and no one gives an you an offer, it can be easy to interpret that. And that's as something as like not good enough. And that's a fear we don't want to face. This is also something I see a lot in my clients. So if your career is not where you want it to be right now, and you know that there's so much more out there, but you're procrastinating on your career change, on your career development, on your job search, it's really important to ask yourself why. And this is something I work a lot with my clients on. And that is not only the tangible, you know, resume interview and job search skills, it's really developing the personal growth skills behind as well so that you can continue and utilize that job search skill for the rest of your life. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I learned this really young and I didn't realize that. I just was forced into it. And I was forced into, you know, always being the star student and then all of a sudden not being good enough for the workforce in certain aspects. And then I developed that resilience when it comes to the job search. And that's how I'm able to keep applying for jobs even now. And I take them as learning lessons and leverage them now. So 
If this is something that you would like to continue working on, not only building and developing the concrete job search skills, but also you're crafting your career story and building a personal, marketable, personal brand that is authentic to yourself on top of the personal growth skills to stop self-sabotaging in your career, I really invite you to book a free discovery call for my one-on-one coaching program. The link for that is in the show notes and it's very easy. All you have to do is click the link. It's calumly.com forward slash Kimberly dash WLM and my calendar will show up and we can just have a conversation about where you are in your career and where you would like to go. So again, that link is in the show notes and I really invite you to book that free discovery call if this is something that you have been struggling with. Now, the third hidden way that you might be self-sabotaging in your career is that you are not healing from past career trauma and it is influencing your career development today. Self-sabotage happens when your subconscious starts interfering with your rational conscious mind. So even though you know you should be doing something, something inside of you is preventing that. And as high achievers, we have very high standards for our work. So when it doesn't produce the result we want, we usually just blame ourselves. We not It might not be so apparent at first, but this can be severely holding you back. And it's something that I really work on uncovering with my clients. Without knowing it, there are many career experiences that have shaped my clients and how they progress and develop in their career and basically their perception on it. For example, one of my past clients was extremely hesitant to apply for jobs she didn't feel qualified for or list herself as an expert in software that she knew really well because her past boss had said to her face that she didn't have what it takes to be successful in a certain position. And not only was that experience extremely traumatizing, but because she subconsciously believed it, it severely impacted her job search, her confidence, and how she marketed herself because she kept that idea in the back of her mind. So it would interfere with how she spoke about herself, how she was marketing herself. And in the end of the day, she was self-sabotaging herself. Instead, We worked, uncovered the beliefs about that situation, namely that this was not a very good boss and that this information was not valid. And that was what we really had to do in order for her to start being able to develop that self-confidence and that true career confidence. And this is what I do with my clients um, on the back end on our calls is that we really work on transforming what our beliefs about our career in the past are. And that I truly believe that this is something you need to look back on to advance in your career if you're starting to feel stuck. And this is why it can be so helpful to work with a coach to help uncover these past beliefs. And this is something I had to do with myself as well. And I didn't really realize how much of an impact this made on my career until much later. So I want to share a story and experience that I had that was traumatizing. And I didn't realize it until much later into my career development. So this wasn't directly work related. It just manifested into my work later on because when I was young, I used to go to Vietnamese school. And if you don't know, my family is Vietnamese and I speak and write it fluently. 
And when I was in Vietnamese school, in my last like grade of this Vietnamese school before I could graduate, I had a teacher and he was actually the head teacher, but he wasn't there all the time. And so we also had like this student substitute teacher as well. And he would go out of his way to humiliate me in front of the class. He always picked on me. And I was extremely not used to that because I mean, I when I was a kid, I was like a rule follower. I was very non-confrontational. I was very quiet. I was very shy. Um, I was a little less shy in this classroom because I had my family friend who um, was like my cousin. We were just extremely close. Our families were extremely close. I had her in the class, so I just felt more comfortable. And I had other friends in the class um, because I had gone through the grades with them. But this teacher would just every class that he taught he wasn't in all of my classes but every class that he taught with me he would go out of his way to make sure that I feel small and he would call out my mistakes to embarrass me in front of like the entire class instead of just saying it privately to me and I would cry because I was very young and very emotional this is also my teen angst phase mind you and actually, I used to cry after class and I didn't want to tell my parents what was going on. So I used to cry in the shower. And then when my parents would ask, um, because one time my dad did, um, why my eyes were red, I would just say that um, I got shampoo in my eyes. And what I didn't realize is that this feeling of being basically um, like called out in class was something I really internalized and I was really scared to feel again. Now, throughout university, I was in classrooms of like three or 400 people. So it was very rare that I was called out. And honestly, like throughout university, even when I was in those smaller seminars, my teachers were great. Like they're awesome. They were, they never tried to purposely like embarrass me or even when I did say something that was wrong and things like that, like I never had that experience. But a couple of years ago, I was doing an additional certification for my workplace and I came up against this scenario because this certification was for basically government workers. And um, we do like real life case studies. We really share our challenges and experiences on the ground. And someone had brought up a problem that I had a solution to. And when I raised my head and I, um, I told him about it, I actually realized that I knew more about the subject matter than the teacher. And so um, he was so grateful, obviously, that I had presented him with a solution. And um, my teacher also asked me, you know, to speak more to this subject matter for the class and explain more about it. And I just feel, I just felt that feeling of like, oh, no, I, I don't want to speak in front of everyone. Oh, no, like I don't want to say something wrong because I don't want to be like called out in front of everybody again. And it wasn't until later and now more as an adult, now I've processed that emotion more and that feeling, that trauma more that I was thinking like, oh, like I am really trying to avoid that feeling that that teacher gave me when I was 14 years old. And this has really affected my ability to public speak and really present specifically in classrooms. I am much better at like public speaking um, and um in like a meeting setting, but not as much in classrooms. And I really understood why, because this was coming back to me. And after uncovering that emotion, I'm like, oh, now like 
I, I, if you don't know, I'm taking another certification for my work. And now I'm much more comfortable because I have changed my beliefs of what happened in that situation when I was like 14 years old. And that was not okay. Like looking back on it, I was like, you were in your 30s. I was 14 years old and you humiliated me in front of class. Like that was not that was not something that was acceptable. And if you are like wondering how that story ends, um, I know I'm going a little bit off tangent right now, but I'll just tell you how that story ends as well. And that is um, when I was in that final grade, I, um, I start, we had one final exam and you had to pass this final exam to basically pass the grade, which means you like graduate from the school, right? And I studied really hard for this exam because like, like everything, I study really hard. I've always been very studious. I've always been hardworking and that high achiever mentality. And um, when the head teacher announced the scores, uh, the test results, um, not only did I have the highest score in the class, I was the only one who passed the test. So basically, technically, I was the only one who like graduated from the school at that time. He obviously said like oh, this. Obviously, this test was extremely difficult, so they weighted it differently, but technically I was the only one who passed and seeing that other that teacher that used to humiliate me like seeing the look on his face when he realized that I was the the top student was absolutely priceless and that's the day that I really learned that you know hard work really does pay off and yeah so the story ends well so if you're like feeling sorry for me in that capacity don't worry it ends well so I know that was a bit of a tangent but I just wanted to give an example of how you know past experiences and traumas if we don't process them how they continue to arise in our current situation so now when I look back at that situation I have discounted what happened because and, and I, I don't shrink myself anymore when I speak up in class because, okay, even if I were to say something wrong again in front of a class, first of all, I'm very studious. I, I know what I'm talking about. And um, that chance of that is more unlikely. But second of all, my teachers, the students, they would not react that way. Like I'm in like... I'm in my 30s now. I, I'm in when I'm in a classroom. I'm with other career professionals and with a prof professional professor. If I said something wrong, they would not humiliate me in front of the entire class and tell them like that I wasn't meant for this type of career. So looking back on it now, because I can see almost the humor in that situation and almost the disconnect, and I was like, wow, I was like 14 and. You were a complete grown-up, <laughs> and that was not an okay to speak to um, a child like that, basically. I can now go forward in my career with that confidence, but if I had just tried to ignore it, I think that it will it would have always been there, and I would have always tried to shrink myself in front of a classroom. So if this is something that, you know, um, you might be struggling with. Remember that blaming yourself is a huge habit of people who self-tabotage because it's something we do in our mind. And if we believe enough about, you know, the circumstances that happened and the situations that happened and that they were tr correct and true and valid, it becomes our reality. And if you're struggling with this, I want you to step back and think of if someone else was in the situation 
what would you have thought to um what would you have said to them in in the situation so looking back at my personal story in myself if i had told you that that's what would have happened would you have said that like oh kim like you're not that smart it's because you deserved it no at that in that moment i felt like that but as an outsider you don't think that right you would think like what the heck so that is something that can be a useful tool if you are finding that you are having a lot of self-blame and that is self-sabotaging your career. Now, the last unexpected way that you might be self-sabotaging yourself in your career is you are overthinking what other people might think. As a high achiever, it is extremely likely that you are also an overthinker. And as an overthinker, it's easy to get into analysis paralysis in decision-making like we had talked about before. But it is especially difficult and it comes up in a different way when we're in situations we can't control, like we're when we're around other people, right? So if you are um, struggling to choose a career path, most of the time that's just affecting you. And it might obviously affect your family and um, the people closest around to you. But when you are overthinking situations and you're stuck in analysis paralysis around other people, because of the you are letting your fear of what other people think actually influence yourself um your situation that is also a different form of self sabotage you might be holding yourself back and actually stopping yourself like physically stopping yourself from taking actions like speaking up in a meeting like negotiating your value like applying for a job or even starting a side business along your full-time job which is if something if that's something you're interested in I did like a whole um series based on that and that's episode 54 55 and 56 on the podcast but when you are an overthinker it is something that you know you're almost preempting a situation and you're creating scenarios in your head that are very unlikely. And I can say this with a lot of confidence because I do this. And this is something my clients struggle with as well. I can easily, so easily go into like the worst case scenario of everything. It's so easy for my brain to get there because again, my brain is developed to protect me. So when I'm encountered with the situation, it is like taking in all the information, it is analyzing it and it's seeing how it can protect me. And by and by thinking of the worst case scenario, it thinks it's protecting me as well. But what really it does it is it just holds me back because 99.99% of the time, things do not turn out as badly as I do. I think it will in my head, even when I've you know said something embarrassing, or I've applied to a promotion at work that you know everyone knew I was applying to, and then I didn't get it the end result has never been that bad. Most of the time, the consequences of not taking action were much more higher than actually taking action in itself. So if I didn't speak up in a meeting, it usually actually just bites myself in the butt later on than saying something quote unquote that I think might be embarrassing or might might be wrong or some, something someone might disagree with me. I'm not negotiating um, because I didn't want to be like you know, seen as non uh, seen as ungrateful or seen as confrontational 
or you know anything like that, like applying for a job that I felt unqualified for, or starting my side business. These were all things that you know I thought would have really big consequences because, like, it would be really embarrassing if someone like um found you know like work life money and then laughed at it or something like that. Um, no one has ever done that, by the way. <laughs> like everyone in my personal life who knows about this doesn't has never laughed at me I in my head I think they will but actually like everyone is supportive um and so there are all these things in my head that I think will end really badly but it doesn't and feeling like you know that I can't control this situation so I'm not going to take action is one of the worst self-sabotaging habits that high achievers can make because as perfectionists, as high achievers, we excel at so much and we have so much to contribute, but are holding ourselves back because of what might happen. And this is why I'm like so passionate about my work um, with my coaching clients, because everyone I work with is like doing incredible work for the world. They're just doing amazing things. I work a lot with people in like sustainability and corporate um, social responsibility and nonprofit and careers in service of others. And it these are careers that are so important in the world. And um, people who are, I work with people who are, you know, scared to put themselves out there. And it's like, you have so much to contribute in the world. You're going to make such huge impact. And that's why I'm so honored to be a part of their career journeys. But overthinking is real. And I just did an episode prior to this. So it's episode um, 59 on what to, um how to stop overthinking. So if this is something that you continue to struggle with, I ex- I really recommend that you listen to that episode if you haven't already. But when I am, when you are overthinking in your career, and I want you to start looking back on it as, you know, a, a way to self-sabotage yourself because chances are the consequences of not taking that action were worse than the consequences of um, uh, of doing something, not doing it at all. Sorry. The consequences of not taking that action are worse than just staying safe where you are. I think that makes sense. But you know, you know what I mean, right? Because like, even if you put all in all of this effort and to apply for a job that you don't feel qualified for and you don't get in the end, the thing is, that's the worst thing that can happen. Like you don't get the job, right? And the worst thing is that maybe they say no. And like, again, 99% of like hiring managers and people out there, they're going to say no, like in a nice way. If they sometimes obviously they don't say anything at all, but most of the times they're not like, haha, you are terrible, right? Um, but the fact is that you could get a job that you don't feel qualified for. That's what I did, right? But I only got there because I've got I applied for many jobs that I didn't feel qualified for and um I didn't get those jobs so learning using those as learning experience has really helped me where I get me to where I am today lastly one of the biggest mistakes I see high achievers make when it comes to their career development and that self-sabotage is that they solely rely on the employer for their career development and rely on job search skills that they were taught in high school However, career development is an ongoing process and it's so important to catch ourselves in these self-sabotaging habits that I talked about in this episode, including 
pressuring yourself to have the perfect career and the perfect plan and not practicing your job search skills, including the feeling of rejection and not healing from past career trauma and overthinking what other people might or might not think about you. I think that it is so easy to think that we you know, reach a certain level of our career and all of these problems like magically go away. Like you hit some type of age or some type of title or stage and that everything else fades away. But the truth is that all of these, you know, self-sabotaging habits are a result of, you know, our inner subconscious and the narrative and our past beliefs and experiences. And they will come up in different ways, in different circumstances, and different situations, as you know, your life changes, the world changes, your industry changes. And if we're not careful, it's important to, um, it, it's easy to let these past beliefs from our subconscious affect the future trajectory of our career. So if you are ready to stop these self-sabotaging habits and really take control of your career, I really invite you to book that free discovery call for one-on-one coaching. The link is in my show notes. And um, I really invite you into the program because this is something I truly help with my clients with and something I have helped myself with and through as well. So thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of the episode and listening to that, you know, sappy story of when I was like in my teen angst, 14-year-old phase. I don't think I've ever shared that story anywhere on the Money and Integrity podcast or on Work-Life Money, but my friends and my family members in my personal life know that story. Um, But thank you so much for listening. And, you know, if you if you want to, please let me know that you're listening. I would love that. I have people message me afterwards when they listen to my episodes and they it just like absolutely makes my day. And so um, my Instagram, if you ever wanted to connect, is at worklifemoney.co. And my email is Kimberly at worklifemoney.co. Contact information is always in the show notes. And until next time, I'm always cheering you on. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Money and Integrity podcast, I highly encourage you to leave a review at Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening from. This helps more people discover the podcast and become a part of this community. Remember, we're all in this work-life money thing together.